So the last couple of weeks, uh, Dad kind of kicked off a series about running at the roar. And um, I, I've, we started wearing these bracelets about a year ago. And there's, I think there's actually a whole bunch of them in my office. I'll stick them out on the desk if some of you would like to get one. Um, as my brother always says, my oldest brother says that his house screams at him. Because how many of you have, like, go to Hobby Lobby and you buy all the signs that say something? Nick says that means that the pictures are screaming at him when he walks into his house. My arm screams at me. Because my arm says every one of my bracelets say something. <laughs> but um, how many of you just at times struggle during your day? I know most of you are pretty holy, so I know that probably doesn't happen to you. So, But there are times in my day when I'm just um, mentally struggling to cope with whatever it is. It could be the smallest of things, honestly. This morning, my computer wouldn't work, and it did that stupid, like, colorful circle where it just sits there and spends and spends and spends and spends, and I couldn't print my message off, and I'm hyperventilating at 8.56 going, well, <laughs> ready or not, here we go. <laughs> and so I started, one of my bracelets says, um, I choose joy. <laughs> Do you ever have to, I need my wrist to yell at me. I need my walls to yell at me because sometimes what's happening in my head is not loud enough. What is loud in my head um, are, are those thought processes that aren't very healthy for me. So uh, there's this terminology I want to use today, and when I use it, I understand that typically when we use the phrase community of faith, we are talking about the diversities within the faith community, right? We're talking about all the different sects of community. But I want to change and use this in a little different direction today and just venture to say that you have a community of faith living on the inside of you. And we know that faith is this gift, right? Uh, Sean did a really great job of talking to us about divine persuasion and that he, this gift is just freely given, that I don't mustered up faith, but faith is given to me. That right there, again, makes me just take a big, deep breath and go, oh, because I can screw this up. Again, I know you guys are very holy people, so I would assume screwing up is not in your vocabulary, but it happens in my life a lot. I say the wrong things, I do the wrong things, and even when I think I'm doing the right thing, whoever I did it to thought it was the wrong thing. Have you ever said everything you thought was right, but the person that heard it heard it completely different, and so it ended up being wrong? And that you sit there and you go, it doesn't matter what I do or I don't do, I'm wrong either way. Do you ever just feel like your hands are tied? There's another phrase to that, but we're in church and there's children in here, so I'm not going to say it, but you're thinking it right now, that it doesn't seem to matter whether I do this or I do that. I'm just, I just end up being wrong. You ever cycle in that thought process? Even when I think I'm trying to do right, even when I think I've gotten better, the person I'm talking to is triggered by something in their life that has nothing to do with me and they're responding to me based on those triggers, but I'm taking it personally and I'm walking away and now I'm offended and I'm hurt and it's this whole terrible cycle, Right? So how much freedom is there in Ephesians 2, 8 through, 9, 8 through 9, when it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. This has nothing to do with what I do. Nothing to do with what I do or don't do. I am not in a relationship with God based on my performance. My performance does not matter. He chose me. He loves me, even if you don't. 
Even if you don't like my performance, he looked at me and said, he's good. Have you ever gone and watched? I just told Sean, um, Hoxton is not going to be able to play um, t-ball. Have you ever sat at a three-year-old t-ball game? They're miserable. It's torture. Why do we do this? This is another thing we could start doing. Let's, by faith, find a reason why we can no longer do three-year-old t-ball. It is the worst thing ever. Because, first of all, they're standing out there. They're throwing dirt around. I watched a little kid. And here's the problem. We're at daycare, and so half the kids on the team I know anyways. And so this one little boy, he's throwing a metal bat in the air, and he's going to try and catch it. This kid can't catch nothing. No three-year-old can catch anything. They can't catch the balls. They can't catch bats. They're swinging them around like this, knocking people over. I, I just am like, we are corralling gnats out here. And we, we paid money and chose to do this. And to top it off, it's 97 degrees outside. Do you know what heat does to me? Listen, there's this demon on the inside of me that when I get hot, comes out. I don't want my kids to touch me. I don't want Sean to look at me. No amount of water is going to fix how hot I am in this moment. And then put a baby that's like wrestling around on you. Dear Lord Jesus, just take me to heaven. Take me to heaven. I don't want to do this. Why do we do this? Do you? And then what happens when they all get done? First of all, they all get a trophy. Why? No one got out. No one had a score. Nobody, Hezekiah, because he's massive size, ends up on t-ball teams with, with other kids that are like, and they, they, I think they think he's probably been held back and he's a third-year kindergartner, but, and he is all about accessories and the look, so he wears baseball pants and socks up to here, and he wears a cross that he has to kiss before he hits the ball off the bat. Oh, it's the whole thing. He's got the, he, he works on the brim of his hat, so it's super flat, and he has to wear the glasses upside down, backwards. It's like this whole thing, and it's ridiculous. When he kissed the cross, I was like, listen, Hollywood, I don't need a diva on the t-ball field. And he would get so mad because he'd hit the poor ball clear over all the kids' heads. Now, the kids loved it because what are they doing? They're just running around the field anyways, going to get the ball and then fighting over the ball. And then the coach only lets. Anyways, Zeke gets stopped at first base. I thought he was going to knock out the first base coach person. He's like, why am I stopping? No one touched me. I can go home. And he slides to every single base <laughs> because the quality of the game is based on how much dirt are on the white pants that mom has to clean. I'm like, guys, we're six. But do you know what we do when he gets done? Because this is a Faulkner tradition. This is not a more tradition. My mom, we went to volleyball one day. I went to Girl Scouts one day. I played basketball one day. My, yeah, we just don't do this stuff, ever. Because moors don't run, actually. Unless something's chasing us, we just don't run. And if you see us run, you'll understand why we don't run. It's not a pleasant sight. You got Faulkners that got legs the size of me, and so when they run, it's like these strides. I'm like, I don't even know what to do with that. I can't even walk with him down the street and keep up. I ain't running with you. So anyways, we get all the way done, and um, Nana Tana, we got to go get ice cream at Bogies and celebrate how good they did at T-Ball. And in my mind, I'm like, they sucked. 
This, there was nothing good about how they performed. It was terrible. But it's your kid. Your kid hit the ball. They ran to the base. You know, that's what God does for us. It ain't based on how well we play t-ball. Whether we are Hollywood and kiss the cross, whether we're dressed like this or we're just the kid with not even the right colored shirt on, because that happened one week, couldn't find it. So it's like, just wear Henley's shirt. It'll be fine. No one will care. It doesn't matter how you show up to the game. Because as parents, we understand we're going to celebrate every moment we can for our kid. When they create this weird little concoction of dirt and leaves and bring it to us as a gift and we are so thankful as we take it and then turn around and probably put it in said trash can or when Henley colored on the back of the couch with the red marker he was just creating mommy a picture and so you know you're you're trying to not scold him for the fact that he used a red permanent marker on the back of the couch because he was trying to express his love to us and even though he did it wrong based on whose interpretation of right and wrong. His heart was love. I wonder if we stopped judging other people's hearts and started looking through something different to see how people might be trying to show love to us, to God, to the people around them. The Bible talks about looking through faith and how faith can change our perspective. That this gift that's given to us that I can't conjure up, that is a divine um, gift from God, that it allows me to look through something else to see you. If I take my hand and I go like this, I did this first service and I looked out the wrong eye. You look significantly different and I can't see anybody over here. <laughs> but I can see Heather and Curtis really well. If you take that and you start looking through a different, a magnifying glass, that you'll start seeing things differently. Have you ever got a new pair of glasses? And it all starts, my great, my grandmother got um, trifocals. That made her real mad for a really long time. She's like, it just, it, because when you begin to change what you're looking through when you look at people, it might change your perception of them. And I know that that contradicts a culture in which we live in that says, I need to base you on your performance. I need to respond to you based on your performance. Everything in our lives at times is interpreted by the fact that I should act a certain way. And if I don't act that way, then there is a punishment for how I acted. How many of you were raised to believe that that was Christianity? If I acted this way and I did certain things, I was good and I'm going to heaven. But if I did the wrong things, I was bad and I'm going to hell. And I have to figure out a way to turn around and go a different way. And we got all this Christianese and we turn away and turn away from my sins. And I've got to act this way and do it this way. And, and if not, I'm going to be punished. Just let that sink in for a second. Do you want your kids to think they have to earn your love? Why do we think we have to earn God's? And yet that's what we're telling people. 
And we base it on Old Testament ideas of the Ten Commandments. Do you realize that the intent of the Ten Commandments was so that you and I just didn't murder each other and steal each other's stuff? It was just a boundary, a guideline, riverbanks in which we are to interact together in relationship. But it was not in a way that God just was setting up rules so he could punish you. God didn't set up rules because he wants to be this judge that punishes you. God is a God that is continually, always, through all of Scripture, looking for a way to make a way to be in relationship and connection with you. Church, that is what we are to be as Christians. Is that instead of looking at how someone else is living or how I'm living and figuring out what's wrong with how they're living, is to find a way to find anything I can in that person that I can connect with and be in relationship with and find common ground with and say, you know, I don't know about all of these other things, but I know that we believe in God. I know that you believe that he died on the cross, that he rose again. I believe there's goodness on the inside of you that you've yet to even tap into This divine persuasion that causes people to stand in front of giants, that causes people to jump into a pit on a snowy day with a lion. This faith that looks at a 15-year-old and she doesn't think it's abnormal to be pregnant and have never have known a man. That faith that wells up on the inside of you, that creates in you this ability to say, I can do this. That is a gift that is not conjured up by me or what's on the inside of me, but it is given to me by the one who created me that said you're more than a conqueror. You're the head and not the tail. You're above and not below, and you're going to be blessed going in and blessed going out, and that the great is your reward, and your thoughts will become my thoughts, and your words will become my words, and that didn't happen in this instantaneous moment when you walked down front and you asked Jesus into your heart. No, your stinking self went back to the row, and you still probably had a lot of issues, but over the course of a lifetime, God will continue to work on the inside of you, and that by faith, how do we receive faith? Faith comes by Hearing and hearing the, not Facebook, not Instagram, not my neighbors who think they need to tell me what is wrong in my life, but the word of God will develop this faith on the inside of me that will continually change me. I told first service, the, the, the Greek word for the word Satan in the Bible is adversary. Look at your neighbor. Really look at them. They don't look like you. I don't know if you know this. They actually don't look like you. Shocking. Let that sink in for a minute. Shocking. The reality of the fact is that regardless that we look different, regardless that we all have different past experiences and different upbringings, we can all agree on one thing. We've all had some sort adverse situation in our lives. And the Greek word for Satan is adverse. He's the adversity. That at some point there is this force, this resistance, that is adverse to what God intended for us to live like. And so somewhere in your life, either past, present, or in the future, I guarantee you're going to have trials and tribulations. In fact, Christ says, take heart. 
because this world, you're going to face tribulations. He told, it's going to happen. Because there is this war happening in a spiritual sense between good and evil, light and darkness, and this adversity is against the light. Look at your neighbor and say, not only is your salvation not dependent on you, the adversity in your life is not because of you. The adversity in your life is not because you did something and you are being punished. The adversity in your life is not because you somehow screwed up or your mama screwed up or your daddy screwed up or whatever screwed up. The adversity comes as a force to resist what God intended for your life, which is goodness and mercy, love and joy and peace. That whatever you are facing that is coming up against you, it is there to rob you of what God has placed on the inside of you. Some of you need to stand up and make a decision that, wait a second, God promised me I would have peace that surpassed understanding, that I would have joy that was unspeakable, that love was unconditional. Whatever this is that is resisting the peace of God in my life, the joy of God in my life, the love Love of God in my life is not of God. That is not a lesson for me. That is not my punishment. That is resisting how God created me to live. And what God put in my hands were the fruits of the Spirit that come up from the inside of me and pour out in my life. And those fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, kindness, patience, self-control, Maybe if we stopped trying to fix the issues of spending too much money, drinking too much, smoking this, hanging out here, whatever, and we would just go, God, I called down the gift of self-control in my life. Father, you said that I had self-control, so Father, bring up inside of me self-control. Let me, when I start to think I need to go spend money here, I need to go do this, or I need to go do this, or I'm spending too much time, or I'm working too much, or whatever it is, Father, reveal to me those areas in my life that I need you to give me divine self-control holy smokes that would give you freedom it doesn't depend on you it depends on him when I tap into his resource and I'm not trying to live this American dream where I do this on my own and the success is based on me did it not say that I can take no boast in it David stood in the face of Goliath and when he took Goliath down I don't know about you but if I had fought a giant and took him down with three rocks. I'd be like. My name's Heather Faulkner. You can follow me on Instagram. Right? Because that's what we would do. Because we all have this deep need to be accepted and loved. And when we show up and something really cool happens, that on the inside, you know for a fact. You don't actually know how it, you pulled it off, but you pulled it off. And you're like, okay. Got this. I'm not as bad as I think I am. That's not what David did. David looked at him and said, this has nothing to do with me. This has to do with the God of the universe that showed up on my behalf. Benaniah showed up in a pit on a snowy day with a lion, and it wasn't he that showed up. It was the God within him that showed up and killed that lion. That's the freedom that we have, is there's nothing I have to do here other than allow the faith of God to well up on the inside of me and face whatever it is that is trying to resist the God that's on the inside of me.
the goodness that is on the inside of me. We need to believe that about ourselves, but we need to believe that about the person next to us. That the person that I'm struggling with, the person that makes my crazy pop off, that they're actually not the enemy, but there is something that I am hearing that is resisting something that's inside of me, but that it really has nothing to do with the physical thing that I'm staring at, whether that's a person, a job, a ma- it, it has nothing to do with the physical manifestation of that, but it is a resistance that comes that's trying to push against me to stop the goodness of God in me. And that if I can accept the goodness of God in me, it allows me to accept the goodness of God in the other person. Do you remember when the Pharisees asked Christ, what is the greatest commandment? He said, to love the Lord thy God with all your heart, your soul. Well, what's the second? To love your neighbor as yourself. Listen, church. Many of us can't love other people because we haven't loved ourselves. Many of us are telling a story in our head, and that story is defeating us. The story that's raging on the inside of us is defeating us of loving ourselves, and so the ability to love anyone else is out of our grasp because we cannot love ourselves. We second-guess ourselves. We shortchange ourselves. And it's not that the story that is on the inside of us is a lie. It's that there is another truth that we have to reach out and grasp. Let me show it to you this way. Uh, John, Bo, Curtis, Sean, come here a second. We just like stand right here. So in verse 3, in Hebrews 11, verse 3, it says this, By faith, we understand the worlds were framed and created by the word of God. Framed and created by the word of God. In this passage of scripture, the word worlds is not planets. It's not spheres. It's ages. It's time. Stand this way. Like across from each other. Just telling you four-year-olds can take better instructions. (laughs) Totally kidding. (laughs) So I'm framed in. This is the frame that I live within. So when I accept faith into my life as a gift then the, my time, my entire life, my past, my present, and my future is framed by the words of God. The words of God that says I'm more than a conqueror. The words of God that say I'm the apple of his eye. That no weapon formed against me should stand or prosper, but that all things that God has are accessible to me, that all things are possible to me in my life right now. That I can walk in love and I can walk in peace and I can walk in joy and I don't have to walk anxious and afraid and in doubt and in fear and in paralyzed by my past traumas or paralyzed by my current situation, but that I am framed by the words of God. Amen? Everyone believe that? So now, as I'm walking through life, think of this as the space of grace. That as I walk through life, I'm a bump up against the frame of God's word. That even if I want to get out of God's holding, he holds me right here. That I'm not confined into a box and told I have to live the... No, 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 no. My will is going to bump up against God's will. 
My thoughts are going to bump up against God's thoughts. My words are going to bump up against God's words. And when I, Heather, forget that God's words changed my life, I live in this space of grace that's framed not by my words, but by his. Amen? Thank you, guys. What if we just lived that way, not only in our lives, but I gave that space of grace to other people in my life? That when I have a friend that ends up in a pit with a lion on a snowy day, I'm not the one over here on the edge going, I wouldn't pick up that rock. You should, you should pick up the other rock. That rock's bigger. That lion looks, that's a big lion. Oh, don't do it that way. If I were in the pit with a lion, I'd do it this way. You should pray more. Maybe read your Bible. Maybe they did something to deserve being in the pit with a lion. You think they did? I think they deserve something. You ever have those people on the outside of your life telling you how to deal with whatever the lion is that's roaring at you? What if instead of when that adverse force is coming against you, what if we became advocates? The Bible says Christ is an advocate for us. That he stands in intercession for us. That he stands there and goes, listen, I can't fight your lion for you, but you got this. You are the head and not the tail. You are above and not below. I can't fix the situations in your life. And I wish I could come down and take the lion that's roaring in your life, but I can't get that lion out of your life. You can slay that lion because there's a God on the inside of you that will show up. What if we started stirring up the faith of the people around us instead of critiquing them on which rock they're using to fight that battle and we just give them space in the framework of God not my opinion I had a really wise person tell me one time opinions are like belly buttons everybody's got them some of them are just bigger than others but at the end of the day it's just a belly button what if I just stood in a place and instead of giving my opinion, spoke the word of God into people's lives? That when they text you and they're struggling with something, that you just keep quoting scriptures to them. That you keep going, nope, nope, I know it's easy to fall into that pit and think that this is punishment. I know it's easy to think that maybe you deserve this, but I'm here to tell you there is nothing you've done to deserve the bad situations in your life or the good situations in your life. But if you can stand in a place of complete surrender and say that I know that it is because there is a God that came down and died on a cross for my sin and my shame. Shame is the story we tell ourselves about ourselves. If we did one thing, church, one thing at all. I didn't use any of my notes, so we're just going to go back here. Philippians 4.8. So keep your thoughts continually fixed on all that is authentic and real, honorable and admirable, beautiful and respectful, pure and holy, merciful and kind. And fasten your thoughts on every glorious work of God, praising him always. If you could change the way you talk to you about you, you will change the perspective that you're looking through and it will change how you interact with every person you come in contact with. If you could just take the narrative, take that one verse, plaster it everywhere you can, let it shout at you in your car, let it scream at you in your bathroom, let it yell at you on your wrist, tattoo it on your body, 
hold your breath, parents. Whatever you got to do to keep that verse in front of you that says, I'm going to think on these things. I'm not going to think those thoughts. That's how you roar at a lion in a pit on a snowy day is you don't stand there in your abilities. You stand there in the word of God, in this God-given gift of faith, and you say, by God's name, he said, I didn't have to do this. By God's name, he told me I didn't have to live in this place. I don't have to live stressed out, pulled together. I, I don't have to live that way. He said I could live a life abundantly. Most of us are barely living to live an abundant life is to look at the situations in your life and say, I, I said this to a friend one day, if God did nothing else for me, the rest of my life, I could thank him for everything he's already done. If God did nothing else for me, he showed up and pulled me out of abuse. He showed up in a community of family that loved me when I probably shouldn't have been loved. He showed up when they told me my baby would be disabled. And he gave me the faith to walk it out. He showed up in a room when an oncologist said, I don't know how this is going to turn out, Sean. He showed up and built up a faith that we could look at and say, you will live and not die. This baby will walk and not be crippled. We can stand in a place, church, that says, and even if he walks crippled, you'll do more in his life than he, I could do. Even if you, you know the hardest prayer to pray? God, if you take my husband, that's not my will. But what I know is that you will turn all things for my good. To stand in a place and thank God for the good and the bad. The ugly. I'm not standing here as a person who hasn't been through tough things. I'll go through more tough things. You've been through tough things. You will go through more tough things. But when you can stand in a place of surrender and say, God, no matter what comes against me, I know that your word will supersede any attack of the enemy, that you will not, your word will not return void in my life, that even though I had a dream and a vision of what my life might look like, you have one that's more than I could ever think or imagine because you knew me in my mother's womb. You formed me in the place that I had no control of. And so I put my heart, my life in your hands. Church, when you can stand in that place, it won't matter how much money's in the bank account. Today, Sean and I just giggle when they tell us something's wrong with your car. <laughs> Of course it is. The AC unit's not working. Of course it isn't. <laughs> Whatever it is, it don't matter. David writes in Psalms about how he could look back and say, you showed up here in my life. And you showed up here in my life. And you showed up here in my life. If you haven't written down what God's done in your life, it is really hard to stand in the face of adversities, of trials and tribulations, and go, God, you've been faithful there, and you will be faithful here. This is going to be a shocking revelation to each and every one of you, but if I had another child, which I'm not having another child, we're not in announcing that by any way, shape, or form, but if God would bless me with a baby girl, I wouldn't be mad. Anyways, so... Um, 
I might vicariously currently be living through Alexa and Kara right now and buying all things girl that is aware anywhere. Anyways, Sean keeps looking at me going, are you buying more girl stuff? <laughs> We're going to go broke because someone else had a baby girl. Anyways, I don't know if you'd know this, but if I had another child, though I love all races and genders, I would have a white child. It's shocking. It's shocking reality. Because I can only give birth to what is authentic to my core. God is an eternal God. He can only give birth to what is authentic to his core. God does not give temporal words. When he spoke, let there be, it was be, 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 be. When he said, you are more than a conqueror, that goes on. He took into consideration my past, my present, and my future. That's why he could look at Paul and say, my grace is sufficient. There is space within my grace that is sufficient for all of your shortcomings and all of your thought processes and everything that you are dealing with in life because my grace is bigger than you. That grace comes to us every day every moment of our lives. We have a choice, church, to accept it or not. You won't lose your salvation. I'm not talking about your determination of heaven and hell. I'm just talking about quality of life. The more faith that you hear from the word of God will change the way you walk out life here on earth it won't change whether you spend eternity in heaven or hell it'll change how you live this life I can remember being a teenager and feeling like I had no control over the situation I was in and I would hear this statement of make a choice and I was so afraid because of the story that I was hearing. I'm not saying it was the story being told to me. It was the story I heard. That because of what was happening in my life, I was already destined for hell. So there was no use trying. I didn't know how to get out. My dad told me one time, Heather, if you can't preach without threatening people with hell, can you preach? Can you share the love of God without threatening them with a punishment? I lived feeling like I was being punished and there was a worse punishment, but the reality was I was already living in hell. The idea of a pit of fire actually sounded like a vacation to the life I was living. But the minute that story changed, the minute person because God shows up in a physical way he'll show up in a friend he'll show up in a relationship and it won't be overnight it was nine months of talking on the phone with Sean while he was a rent-a-cop in Inman <laughs> he was on SWAT one night <laughs> He worked the 10 to 2 a.m. shift. I would guess he'd get fired if they knew. We talked on the phone all the time. But I'd get on the phone and we'd talk on the phone the whole time. We'd known each other forever, but we never dated. 
We can go on a date, but we don't want. It's another story. We'd talk on the phone, and there was something. Every time he spoke to me, it was like there was hope being sown into my life. He had no idea what I was going through. If you stop and think you're going to picture someone in your life that you borrowed hope from, that watered your plants when you couldn't water them, might have even dug up the hole and put a seed in when you didn't have the energy to. Because church, that's what we're supposed to be as advocates of the love of God. It's to show up in someone's life and dig a hole in their soil. Maybe pull up the roots that are in their life. Water it for them. Maybe go out and cover it when the frost comes. That's our job, church. is to speak life into someone else's life. I find that in giving life and allowing just to be a vessel, just allowing that life to flow through me that I get more of a reward than the person on the other end. Just like in gift giving, just to see their face and know that it's actually doing more for me than it did for them.